You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to this special bonus edition of Sweden in Focus, the locals' news podcast. On Saturday, we had an interview with Diamant Salihu, the award-winning author of Tills Aladar, or Until Everyone's Dead, a book that shines a light on the roots of Sweden's gang crime problem. Diamant was very generous with his time, and since this is such a big issue and he had so much to say, we wanted to give you the parts of the interview that we weren't able to include on Saturday. So this time around, we'll talk about the central role of social media and gangster rap, how gangs are recruiting young children, why a younger generation suddenly finds itself in charge, why there are so many drugs and guns in circulation, and what can Sweden do to get the situation under control. Before we get to the interview, I just want to say that this podcast is made possible by members of The Local. So a big, big thank you to everyone who supports us. We're an independent publisher and your support really is what funds all our journalism. As a member, you get unrestricted access to all articles on the local Sweden, as well as our eight other country sites. And it might also be good to be aware that some of our newsletters are just for members, including the Inside Sweden newsletter, which comes out on Saturdays and gives you the editor's insights on the most important news stories in Sweden. If you're not yet a member but are considering joining, you can find a special membership offer for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. Let's listen now to the interview. One thing you talk about in the book is the rise of social media and what you call the attention economy. Can you explain what you mean by that term and how rappers have played a central role in the gang crime ecosystem? Yeah, so if if we take uh, the conflict in Rinkeby as an example, uh, there we there was also several rappers that were doing very well at the same time as the conflict was escalating these teenage rappers were becoming more and more successful but they they grew up in this area they were friends or relatives with some of these guys that were carrying guns and starting to rob and shoot people and they were also becoming a part of the problem as more successful they became they used these guys in their videos in their lyrics they used the criminals in the their criminals videos, yeah. this gave the rappers authenticity Yeah, and authenticity was what the audience was demanding because they wanted to to see or listen stories from this world that they were not part of at that time. Mm. There is a lyric from a rapper from Yasin and Jafarbin from Rinkeby. I think it's from early 2021. Jafarbin has just recently been released out of prison, and then his friend Yasin. 
This is just before he gets arrested for kidnapping another rapper, Einar. Yeah. And he enters in the video, uh, Yassin, and says, uh, you wanted this gangster shit. Which was like a reference to, to the audience because some weeks earlier he had released an album and people were harassing him on, on social media because it was too popish, not gangster enough. Right. So I think in this attention economy, they have realized that they can earn money on the music by being very authentic. But with the authenticity, they have also starting to provoke each other through the music and use music as a as a weapon again. I mean, uh, some kind of extra weapon uh, aside what's going on on the streets. Mm. There's a propaganda weapon. Yeah, they almost become like re- recruiting tools for the gangs. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Jaffa Bean. There's one scene in, in the book where he's like publicly humiliated by the rival gang and that becomes an incident that radicalizes him and he becomes more and more aggressive in his lyrics. Exactly. I mean, that was the whole Einar thing, wasn't it? That he was he was publicly humiliated. Like they they yes. kidnapped him and then they sent vi- they posted videos I think on Snapchat yeah, of him like I mean, tied to um yeah we maybe don't need to go into the details yeah after what happened to Jaffar Bean from Rinkeby in, this was in August 2017 other rappers knew that they didn't want to be in the same situation and then many of the rappers were hanging around with criminals that are armed which gave him some kind of protection from that kind of uh, kidnappings or humiliations. But one that didn't have the same protection was Einar. Yeah. He was an easy target with much money, and uh, that's why they could do that to him, mm. what he did. We've been reading that a lot of the, the incidents that have been happening over the last few months are connected to the killing of Einar in various ways. Yeah, in a way, yes, uh, because some of the targets of death shootings and explosions and so on uh, have one thing in common, that they have uh, been committing crimes against Einar. But I think also we have all to keep in mind that there's so many parallel conflicts yeah. in this environment, and especially the last weeks we've seen a huge gang conflict between two gangs one of the gangs has also links to people that allegedly are the targets of the what we thought was the Einar conflict right so maybe they're linked somehow uh, we don't know that really yet but all of these guys is this this is a small community even in the gang community they know each other they have so many parallel conflicts and loyalties and illoyalties yes and I watch the children's news with my own children and I've seen you on there telling kids, you know, if older children start offering you gifts in exchange for services, tell an adult immediately because otherwise you might end up dead. And this is obviously unnerving to hear as a parent. How common is it for gangs to use young children? Uh, I said that because uh, I really wanted to make a point because it's dead serious. Yeah. And the children needs to realise that and parents too because I think parents are... Uh, or have been quite naive, especially parents that live in the vulnerable areas. The older guys that are based in these communities, they need to have workers because they want to earn earn money by selling drugs, for example. And teenagers, young teenagers are easy targets to groom, to let them do do favors that gives you more money. And uh, they are also very uh, naive. And uh, as the situation is at the moment around Sweden, we have so many cases with 
child soldiers, I mean, children that are murderers. Yeah. I mean, they, they're carrying guns. And for example, in Malmo last year, there was this 15-year-old guy that escaped from a HVB custody. It's when, yeah. when he's like under custody, escaped and committed a murder in front of a lot of witnesses. It's very ruthless and also yeah. a huge problem because they, the older criminals, they know uh, that they can use the children this way. And what sort of things are, are like, I'm thinking of children like 10 to 12 year olds, what sort of things are they being asked to do? Uh, they're being asked to do favors as, can you take this package from here to there? Can you hide this in your parents' basement? Sure. Can you report when you see the cops coming? I was on a meeting before this and I met a woman there that works with integration an integration project and she's she told me that they had six year olds that were recruited to help the older guys in the gangs with drugs. Six year olds. That's tragic. Yeah. It's really tragic. Does it play in as well that these kids, if if a six year old is arrested, then well they're not going to be arrested and they're not going to be sent to jail and they can use them as and then they'll be out on the streets again soon and they can use them in that way as well exactly because here in sweden if you're under 18 the general punishment you can get even if you commit a murder is like maximum four years in youth custody where i mean it also works like, like a recruition base where you meet other uh, guys like you hmm. and uh, you can get to know people from all around sweden yeah and the the teenagers know that the older guys know that. That's that's why they are continuing to find young protégés. As you mentioned, you've got a new book coming out soon in April. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it focuses on how police got access to the encrypted EncroChat messaging service used by Swedish gangs, among others, and how that led to gang leaders being tried and convicted. And this was obviously a huge success for the police but it also created a vacuum. And to what extent do you think the spike in gangland killings last year is linked to a younger generation moving in to fill the void? According to, I mean, interviews are done with police, with the guys that have been sentenced and the guys that are still on the run. It's it's a very big reason. Yeah. Uh, because when the leaders got to prison, then the young guys became leaderless, but they still had guns. And they still wanted to earn money on drugs. But they had also found out a lot of information through the encrypted chats. Because here in Sweden, I mean, everything becomes official when you prosecute somebody. Right. So they can see uh, that this guy and that guy had some kind of relation with each other. They, They were changing information. I thought they were enemies. A lot of gossip has uh, led to shootings. I have an example in my book uh, where also a brother of a guy that that was planning crimes through Anchorshot uh, got killed. I mean, a couple of days after the, the, his brother was prosecuted. Mm. And according to the family, it's because of what they was reading in the chats. But yeah, the, the, the main consequence was that so many young teenagers have now been leaderless and... Uh, living wild. Yeah, you've described it as a Wild West scenario at the moment. Yeah. yeah. One noticeable trend, as we were discussing a little bit earlier, was the fact that many of the gang-related murders last year took place outside the main cities in places like Kalmar, Helsingborg, Luleå. 
And a lot of the recent explosions and shootings in Stockholm are thought to be connected to the illegal drug market in Sundsvall. Why is the violence spreading geographically like this? Because police are, I mean, they have uh, the, the more vulnerable areas under watch. And there is a huge market in the rest of the country where the gangs know that they can take over and sell their products. And they can kill the competitors if they need to. So what we're seeing now is that kind of battle between two gangs. And one of the big markets that they want to take control over is in Sundsvall, in northern part of Sweden. Uh, allegedly, because Sundsvall is like the port to the rest of the northern parts of Sweden, but also to our neighboring countries. So there is so much drugs being smuggled into Sweden that there are leftovers for Norway and for Finland. And obviously, this is very interesting for the gangs, so they can earn money. And in your first book, you talk about these two gangs we've mentioned, Schottas and Dutzpatrullerna. How many gangs are active in Sweden at the moment? <laughs> I wonder if anybody knows, really. I mean, when they say gangs in Sweden, they don't necessarily have a name. But only in Stockholm alone, uh, the police say that there are around 50 criminal networks. Right. Most of them are like based around city centers, corn. I mean, they have their own areas yeah. and they can be friends or enemies with each other. We talk a lot about organized crime. How organized is it? Are there some gangs that are very organized, others less so? What, what, what kind of organizational structures are we seeing? Many of them are not organized, which is also part of the problem because they kill each other. And they're very young. If they would be more organized as they are, in, if, for example, in Germany, they would not be allowed to kill each other because that's bad for business. Yeah. So <laughs> somehow, if it would be more organized, it would maybe lead to less killings, but worse problem for the Swedish society. Yeah. But there are also some of the gangs that are very organized and they have a potential I mean, capacity to take over if they want to take over. So we'll see what happens after this gang battle that we're seeing right now. When you say take over, what do you mean by that? Do you mean take over other gangs or sort of move into society, sort of undermine society as a whole? And move into new areas, uh, but also build alliances with other gangs. If, I mean, it's like, uh, to, to make it easier, it's like uh, having two teams in the Premier League and then you have the t a team that is uh, on the first place at the moment and one that is maybe on the fifth place. Which team would you like to play with if you are a soccer player? Right. I think it's easy to understand it that way because now we see young teenagers from all around Sweden doing jobs for, the, for either, the, either team. Mm. I think because that they're showing some kind of strength in this kind of radical world, yeah. that makes them more attractive. And they also they have rappers that also advert in their music videos and you know, on their social media loyalty to either gang, yeah. which makes it even more complicated. But I think that the risk is that one of these gangs or teams can become even even bigger if the police doesn't succeed to to arrest people and convict people. Yeah, the new government has 
gang crime prevention at the top of its agenda. It wants to allow stop and search zones and anonymous witnesses, for example. And it has talked about opening new youth prisons, deporting criminals who are not Swedish citizens, building more prisons and hiring prison places overseas. Will any of this help? And how do you see this situation developing over the coming years? I mean, I think it's an agreement uh, also among researchers that we you need to incapacitate young criminals. Yeah. So when they're most active, that they need to get out of the streets. And now we see young teenagers committing murders, explosions, and so on. So they they need to be somewhere where they can get the proper treatment mm. when they're very young. When I speak to old criminals that are in prisons and ask them about what they think would be the best way, they say that it's not the best thing to mix teenagers with adult criminals because that will might lead to even more recruitment. But obviously they need to be behind bars somewhere, somewhere else, maybe for a longer time until they grow up and yeah. realize that they can't kill each other like this. What the solution is for this problem, I don't have a clue. But I think <laughs> that there are, there are I mean, visitations sooner. The stop and search. Yeah. Stop and search zones. I have never spoken to a police officer that thinks that is necessary because they can already do that kind of mm. stop and search. They can have, they can find a reason anytime. Yeah, and you talk about it in, in your first book. It happens in Rinkeby all the time and leads to a lot of resentment. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So is that more of a polit- that's more of a political statement? It's more of a it's more of a of a, of a, of a way of getting votes than than you know, perhaps a practical a solution. That's political bullshit, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Because I mean, if they would listen to the police officers and I mean, if they would understand the situation we have here, they they would not put so much energy into that. What about anonymous witnesses? Seeing there, uh, how often is that used in other countries? Mm. Maybe that can give some kind of insurance to people that are very afraid. That is an, a possibility, but that can also be very questioned by the, the by the lawyers, exactly defense yeah. lawyers. But I mean, they need to do something. We need we need to do something. We cannot have this situation. If you compare to UK, the UK had I think thirty five death shootings for, during one year, and I think around twenty or so were gang-related, yeah. then there are a lot of stabbings instead. That's another problem, but at least, I mean, I think there's there are so many different things we can do uh, that can at least decrease the death shootings. Mm. How come there are so many guns in circulation, though? What, what, is there anything, are there any measures that are being taken that you can see are helpful? Are there anything that could be done to take more guns out of circulation so they don't have the means to shoot each other in this to this extent? I mean, uh, the, the one way is to uh, make even uh, tougher penalties for those that are carrying a gun, but also, I mean, do something with the smuggling. The, the biggest route is Östersundsbron. And I mean, when I speak to those working there, they say that there are too few, they cannot do their job properly. Mm. And a lot of the drugs and also the guns can easily enter Sweden. So they're coming across the bridge from Denmark on the motorway or in the on the trains, all the way from the former Balk, um, the Balkan countries, uh, or other countries where you can buy start guns and modify them here in Sweden. But all is it, of it is comes... it true that I, mean, I was told that one of the reasons Sweden has such a big problem with guns and, and grenades as well is because so 
of the some of the people who came from the former Yugoslavia and a lot of it is weapons left over from those conflicts. Is that true? Probably a bit simplistic. Uh, yeah, a lot of guns have their origin in former Yugoslavia, yes. And, and that also raises another question. What will happen in a couple of years with all the guns that been has been sent to Ukraine? I know the police officers that are very worried about when they will see their fir- the first very, very dangerous weapons coming back here through organized yeah. criminals. Yeah. Have you thought about that? <laughs> That's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Going back to the Ersons, bro, like my purely anecdotal evidence from going to Denmark and back, even on the train, is like one in 20 times you'll see a police officer with a dog going up and down the train and then you get into Sweden and there's just like a little door at the first stop in Sweden and it just says, press this button if you have something to declare. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's, it's really not the same as when you're flying in. It's just, you can just walk in. Yeah, I can definitely see how people how people smuggle stuff in over that bridge. Yeah, and when I speak to all these criminals, uh, they say that, I mean, the risk is very low and the award is very high. So that makes sense. Can I ask a question about your EncroChat book? Because I, I did a, a story on a, one of the cases in, in Malmo, the sort of revenge killings for Caroline Hakim, the doctor who was shot. And what I found so interesting is is that you saw that the people that you th- thought were behind the murders, who are these kind of groups based in the suburbs of Malmo, who you saw, saw as a gangs, were actually being controlled by people who were in their 30s and 40s and didn't live in that environment at all and were just... Con- running it you know they had one of them had a flat in turning torso and then a flat in barcelona and i wonder if that's the case in other parts of sweden that you realize there's this higher level who aren't these sort of street kids Keep like like the, like like the people yeah. in shotas and dertspatrud but are actually you know relatively wealthy and living in a villa somewhere in a relatively well-to-do part of the town is that is that a pattern you've seen elsewhere because it was definitely the pattern in this case, in Malmo. Yes, um, I mean the encrypted telephones had made has made it possible for criminals uh, that have enough money to just order the killings like that from mm. abroad, lying in the pool or sitting in a bar, and telling people what to do in in Swedish suburbs, young teenagers. I mean that's is what's happening even now. Uh, even though there's been a lot of people arrested. There are those that are not arrested that are trying to take over this market now. Some of the guys are in Turkey at the moment because Turkey doesn't extradite anybody to Sweden. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, I did a story quite recently there uh, when one of the wanted guys for narcotic smuggling, he described Turkey as a gangster's paradise. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the main characters in this ongoing battle uh, about Stockholm and Sundsvall market, he is now, he's called the Kurdish Fox, and he is based in Turkey, he has invested in um, citizenship. Uh, he is a Kurdish investing in a Turkish citizenship. <laughs> and according to the police, ordering explosions and mm. shootings from there. We're sitting today in Hammarby Sjöstad, which is a, a lovely part of Stockholm with very expensive flats. And in your first book, there's a, a kid from Rinkeby called Khaled, I think. Yeah. And he comes to Hammarby Sjöstad and meets like a typical 
Swedish dad, I think you call him a super Svensson, with like blonde hair who goes out walking with a stroller with his baby in it. And he's got like baby socks full of drugs that he gives to Khaled to sell. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, I was, at that time when I wrote th- that book, I was so skeptical to everything Khaled was telling me. I was like, can that be true? And he then he was telling me that he could sell 200 gram of cocaine during like two days. Yeah. I mean, I did fact checks. I went to friends, other sources that are that I know have been using drugs or selling drugs, and I was like, "Can this be true? This much drugs?" Yeah. And then, uh, then the the anchor chat and the Anam and Sky C came, and there you could read that these guys are bringing in like 158 kilos of cocaine only dur- I mean during some some weeks there's so much drugs coming into Sweden and the police officers that I've been interviewing they said that before I mean like 10 years ago they could say that they were in a kilo club yeah if they I mean the, this club was not so they didn't didn't have so many members but now nobody speaks about kilo clubs because that's so common to get one kilo of drugs which also says something about what's been happening in Sweden just during the last decade. It's funny, we had, it makes me think of our, our guest we had last week. Um, we had Andreas Savenka in who was talking about his book about how many billionaires Sweden has produced over the past couple of decades. And it's, it, it sort of reminds me a little bit about that. It was so unusual two decades ago to be a billionaire in Sweden, but now there are 542 of them. And now there's just so much drugs in circulation that it's become very commonplace. Not that it's yeah. necessarily the billionaires who are taking the drugs. No. Um, and they haven't got rid of <laughs> Some of them may. But, but that is an interesting question. Do you, when it comes to the drugs trade, is it, uh, you know, I think Stefan Levian, the former prime minister, made a point of saying, you know, the drugs are being consumed in the posh areas of Stockholm and they're causing the problems in these gang ridden areas of Stockholm. Was that a correct analysis or is or are the drugs also mostly being consumed where, you know, in these areas that have the troubles or is it just everywhere? Everywhere, everywhere. Every, everybody that buys a gram of cocaine or cannabis should know that their money is being used to buy the bullets and the guns that are killing people in Stockholm. The pricing is different, right? So it's sold cheaper in the suburbs than it is in, say, Östermalm yes, in central Stockholm. Yes, but everybody is using drugs. There's, mm. there's a huge market. I've been to meetings for stories I've, I've been covering. Anonymous cocaineists. Uh, cocaine Anonymous, it's called, by the way. And uh, I'm so surprised in those meetings what people I see. Because there can be hooligans... It can be homeless people and people coming direct from the finance district. And they have the same problem, addiction to drugs. And that's really important to to realize that this is a problem that we're all part of. I mean, the the government in Copenhagen is wanting um, to to legalize the use of all drugs. The city government, they've just agreed that they want to request that as a trial. I mean, do you think that could work or would that just be a disaster? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I can't can't see Sweden ever doing (laughs) that. Sweden will never. Sweden will never. I'm not sure we'll be there at least in not not, not the next decade. Uh, But I've asked the the guys that I've interviewed and girls uh, that have been smuggling a lot of drugs to Sweden what they think would be good solutions. And quite many of them say that legalization would be a part of the solution. I'm not sure. If it's legal, then 
and they're controlled. sold and and they're and they're sold in shops or they're sold in they're sold, sold by authorized dealers. Then there's nothing for the illegal dealers to do. I guess there's no that will uh, affect their market. But I mean that will maybe open a new market for something else. Yeah, I was just thinking that they'd the, find they someone else to exploit, be, something else to sell. Yeah, there will there will always be people uh, wanting to earn money on other ways, uh, illegal ways. So when they don't want to study or have a day job. Mm. Yeah, God, intractable, intractable problems, but insolvable I is, problems. I think this is really a side of Sweden people are surprised by. Like I, I didn't really know that much about this side of Sweden before I moved here. You know, I'd. I lived in Denmark. I'd heard the kind of, oh, you know, Malmo is really dangerous. Don't go there. Oh, you're going to get blown up. I was like, oh, come on. Like, it's a sleepy little town in the south of Sweden. It can't be that bad. But like, depending on where you go, depending on like, you know, hang out with the wrong people, you get involved in the wrong kind of thing. It can be, it can be seriously dangerous. And I think it's just kind of shocking that, I don't know about you guys, I've kind of just got used to the fact that, you know, I'll log in a work day, I'll check the news, I'll be like, oh, another death here, oh, another death here. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, that just happens now. It's just it's just standard. And I think this is just so surprising. But so many people in the rest of Swedish society are kind of insulated from this as well because of how geographically isolated this is. Right? Mm. It has been very isolated before, but now it's, uh, I mean, it's happening even here where we are right now. You're right. I mean, I mean, I I don't know if it's because I'm 40 rather than 20, but but my personal experience is drugs come up so much less often in Sweden than they did in London. You know, in London, Mm. almost any party you'd go to in my 20s, there would be people using hard drugs. I mean, it just happened all the time. It was everywhere, and since since I was a teenager, and I don't think that's the case for most Swedish teens. Uh, So I wonder who's using all these drugs that are coming in, you know, these kilos and kilos of cocaine. Yeah, so everybody is using these drugs. And um, I mean, when I've been in in UK and in different European countries, I've also noticed that it's much more common, at least in a visual way, to see that people are using drugs on, uh, on nightclubs, for example. But now I see that it's getting more normal here too in Sweden. The difference I would say that we have from other countries is that we have this deadly gun violence uh, which is uh, harder to explain because we have all the same problem but why are we having so much deadly shootings in Sweden? And I think that an answer to that problem is that we have so much guns, that we have so much unorganized criminal network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. I think that if, I mean, with, with time, I'm afraid that some networks will grow stronger and take over the market. And that might lead to less shootings, less deadly shootings, but more infiltration into our society from yeah. the criminal organized crimes. Are we seeing much of that infiltration already? Yes, we're seeing that infiltration, but more in some cities like Södertälje, yeah. Botkyrka. But that would be that will be more common in, in other cities too. Mm. And when you say infiltration into our societies, I mean, do you mean potentially these gangs getting even political influence at a local level? Exactly, political influence, uh, having good. I mean, having uh, special skills uh, through bank contacts that can help you uh, launder money, for example. You're talking about the risk of us sort of eventually becoming a sort of a mafia society at some level. I mean, in the Netherlands, they, they describe their country as narco state 2.0. We're not there yet. I mean, there they kill journalists, they kill lawyers, and we're not there yet. I think we are a narco state 1.0. But if we don't do something about this situation in 10 or maybe 20 years, we also might be narco-state 2.0. In terms of the political aspects of this, how do you think this has been this 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 has been treated by the political parties? How has how has the political debate handled this? Uh, shitty, to make it very clear, uh, because uh, for many years talking about uh, this problem was too much associated that you would blame every immigrant in this country instead of just talking about the problems that we have. Because it's not me and you that are mostly affected by the death, deadly shootings or the explosion. It's mainly people living in vulnerable areas that want to have a decent life, that want to have a good future for their children. And they are the ones being affected. And that should have been what we have, we should have talked about for a long time ago. Instead of now realizing that this is a huge problem when it, it gets closer to everybody else. Mm. Uh, but it's already very late mm. and now we have to turn this situation around and this will take many many years and we've lost maybe 10 years without no reason just because uh, we didn't want to to play into the hands of the sweden democrats exactly yeah and now the shootings have arrived in hammerby Kurstad, where einar was actually killed where we are sitting right now he was killed around the corner from where we're sitting now if you thought they were on the sub in the suburbs now they've actually arrived They've arrived and they have spread like a fire to many other cities. And uh, now we have to deal with that situation way too late, according to me. And that brings us to the end of this bonus episode of Sweden in Focus, featuring more from our interview with Diamant Salihu. And we have a write-up of the interview that we'll link to in the show notes. This podcast also featured the locals James Savage, Richard Orange and Becky Waterton. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again on Saturday with a regular episode of the podcast. Until then, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. 
make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.